Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. If we're just meeting, my name is Dr. Mikel Del Rosario, and I'm the Cultural Engagement Manager here at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And on The Table Podcast, we've done a series on world religions and how to respectfully engage with those who see Christianity differently, talking about everything from major world religions like uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, Islam, but also talking about newer religious movements like Scientology and other things. And today we're talking about engaging with the Black Hebrew Israelites. And my guest on the show today is Vocab Malone. Vocab has an urban apologetics ministry, and he's done some postgrad work in the Demon program at Talbot School of Theology, looking into some of this, um, the, what we're going to talk about today. And he's engaged with uh, people in this movement for years, so we're pleased to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Vocab. Glad to be here, and it was great to see you at ETS. Yes, it was really good to see you again. Last time I saw you was the ETS uh, before COVID, so mm -hmm. it was good to be back in, in the saddle there with you. Well, we're talking about a variety of world religions in this series, and today we want to focus on the Black Hebrew Israelites. Now, this is an area where few churches or apologetics ministries really go, and uh, for most people who are outside the African-American community, we don't really hear much about it. It's not really on the radar for a lot of people. But some of my African-American friends tell me they can't hardly go to uh, get their haircut without someone trying to recruit them into this movement. So uh, tell us how you first began to engage with this whole system. Some of the more zealous sects of the Hebrew Israelites, specifically a group called GMS, Great Millstone, actually was bursting into churches during some of their meetings or would come immediately after and engage them in the parking lot in a rather boisterous way. And uh, a friend from uh, my old neighborhood in the area called me and asked me about it because he was perplexed. And he said, I know you study religion and stuff. Do you know anything about these guys? I didn't know anything about these guys. This is a, this is like a decade ago, my goodness, or something. But I immediately got online and did searches, and I found the exact group he was talking about, watched a ton of their videos, and it was like a baptism by fire, right? And uh, kind of forgot about it until one day I saw him, like right on the block by my house, you know, hmm. where you just go outside, boom, there they are. And I said, that's those guys. I mean, it wasn't the same exact group. It was part of the same camp. That's what they call their sex. GMS, but it was GMS Phoenix, not GMS Columbus. And I engaged them, put the audio up on blog. This is when blogging was big in apologetics. And the response was very uh, heartfelt and urgent. And I realized mm. that there was a big issue here that a lot of people weren't tackling. And that's how the Lord brought me into it. And I have not been able to leave. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. You really, uh, you have a, a very unique ministry in that regard, uh, really engaging with people in this movement. How would you describe the worldview of the Black Hebrew Israelites for those of us who have no clue what this is about? The key element is we. And the question is, who's the we? Every group actually defines the we somewhat differently. So for now, I'll just say we, and ostensibly the person speaking, is part of the group. We are the true biblical Israelites by blood. That's the key element. It drives everything, and it uh, is what drives interpretation. It's what drives proselytism. It's what drives 
um, when someone leaves, the very first question they ask is, but do you still, still think you're an Israelite? They don't, that, that's the first, first question they always ask. Do you still think you're an Israelite? So it's uh, central in the doctrine and the practice that we are the true biblical Israelites. And uh, everything else is colored from there. And there's actually a lot of flexibility. You can hold Old Testament only. You can hold New Testament and kick out Paul if you want. You can be non-Trinitarian, which almost everybody is. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility at that point, as long as you hold to that central tenet. Hmm. Now, is this uh, how new is this movement? Is it an African-American movement or was it uh, before uh, America? Um, Hebrew Israelites have a revised history, so they'll try to go way back and all this kind of thing. The, the reality of it, though, is that Hebrew Israelism is about 130 years old, began in America. Uh, 1880s, late 1880s at the earliest, and more likely sometime in the 1890s. There's different dates with different geysers. Hmm. A little bit of confusion there. Uh, but you had two men roughly around the same time in that era who began preaching uh, a message that we are the true people of the book. Uh, Black Americans are the Israelites. One was F.S. Cherry. He had a radicalized version that really cast out anyone else from being able to be part of this this project this plan this awakening and the other gentleman william s crowdy uh and both of them still have followers in churches today crowdy to a greater extent than cherry crowdy um was more ecumenical and uh egalitarian and so he had uh, followers of all types and stripes he just had this vision and he literally says he received a vision while he was in oklahoma uh that Black Americans are the true Israelites. And uh, some people date that to about 1896 is a common common time when the revision is supposed to be received. And Cherry says he had a vision as well. And so it's older than people think. Its current iteration, though, has recently come on the radar. The current iteration is a bit different than, than what Crowdy and Cherry were doing. Hmm. Now, how does this worldview explain, uh, if I can say, actual Jews and Judaism? Well, uh, I have never met, maybe they exist, anyone who calls themselves a, a Hebrew Israelite, whether they're uh, radical or more moderate, whatever their stance is, that does not think so-called, this is their terminology, modern-day Jews are actually frauds. They're ethnic and religious imposters. Usually, they think most of them are descended from Khazars. So this is something that's been around. It actually, it's it's something that wasn't Hebrew Israelite in its initial inception. The idea that actually a lot of Jews are descendants of Khazars. It's a whole discussion about the Khazarian Empire and the Khazarian Kingdom and the king converting and all this. So a lot of them think they're Khazars. But uh, the One West variety, that's a certain kind of Hebrew Israelite, One West, it's not a, a, a name proper. It's more a, a designation of an ideology like Reformed. There's not a denomination called Reformed per se, but it is a designation of an ideology within Christianity. Same thing with One West. Uh, some of the One Westers, they believe they're actually Amalekites, hmm. like all the way back. You know, you're talking like Haman. They believe that modern day Jews are essentially Amalekites. Uh, now that's that's not all. That tends to be the one Western variety. But they all think they're frauds. They all think they're imposters, and they think that Revelation two nine is actually about uh, people that would call themselves Jews. You know where it says those who call themselves Jews, and there Jesus is saying, if they're persecuting the church, then they're not really children of Abraham. 
in the meaningful sense because Jews were persecuting the church in those areas. And he's really just saying what he had already told the Pharisees. You're actually not really a son of Abraham. You're 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 of your father, the devil, right? John Hmm. 8. And that's what Jesus is reiterating in Revelation. But they use it to say, Jesus was saying, hey, you guys say you're Jews. You're actually imposters. Hmm. You're fakes. You're frauds. It's actually, they say, it's one of the biggest cases of identity theft that's ever happened. Now, I've seen pictures of people in this movement dressed up like they're the Aaronic priesthood, and uh, there's a lot of Jewish uh, cultural things that will be um, incorporated into their, their lifestyle. What is the attraction for converts to this group? Is it, is it Jewish culture per se, or what's the attraction? A Hebrew I would say, this guy is asking the wrong question. It's my culture. I'm simply reclaiming it. It's like being 50 years old and finding out you're Sicilian, which is actually what happened to my mom. She didn't find out she was Sicilian until she's 50, a long story. Uh, and then all of a sudden being like, oh, let me find out what that's all about. Mm. So they believe it's reclaiming a lost heritage. They believe that the Bible predicts that, like a passage in Jeremiah that speaks of uh, the, the heritage or the inheritance, which is referring to the land. But they take it as your like culture or something like that. And... Uh, they would say they're recovering their culture. And so what 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 a here it would say is they would say that pastors have lied to us. They have not told us our true identity. We are the people written about in this book and who wrote this book. And yet we've been told we're down here. In reality, we're up here. And now that I know who I am, I realize one of the key ways that I express my culture is by keeping the Old Testament law as well as I can. And so they would say, you know, those folks are the wannabes, the, 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 the so-called real Jews, they would say, we're the true ones taking it back, you know, and um, they would say um, outsiders have lied to them. And that actually a lot of outsiders know the truth, especially the elite. They, they'll think that they, they know this reality. And last thing I'll say about it, it's hitting a felt need. Everybody wants to know who am I? Why am I here? Why am I going? It's especially acute. And a lot of people who convert into this ideology and you'll hear them say things like the day I woke up or the day I came into this truth, it was like I got a golden ticket. It was like I had won the lottery. Hmm. I still remember the feeling when a guy told me I was an Israelite, how I was on the bus on the way home, how excited I was. That's the kind of thing you hear. It's almost them being born again. I'm not saying it actually is, of course, but they talk about it as waking up. Hmm. So if it's 130 plus years old, then there are some people who are born into this system, um, assumedly. And what keeps people loyal to the worldview? Well, a lot of Hebrew Israelites, you know, they're younger or middle age when they discover they're Hebrew Israelites. If you're born into it, you sort of have this extra layer of a pedigree in a sense. It's like, well, my mom knew that we were Israelites and she taught us the Hebrew alphabet as children, something like that. So it's sort of an extra layer uh, of, of pedigree in a way. And uh, you can read about studies like in the sixties about what scholars then called black Jews. Now this is not identical to what we're talking about, but it's interesting to read what are called ethnographic studies from that era. And um And the children really feel like they're in between two worlds. Like, for example, let's say they go to like a Jewish day school. Um, You know, a lot of the Jewish kids don't accept them as this or that. 
but then they're trying to live amongst the regular community. And then everyone's like, why are you, you know, so there's uh, it's not easy, but they're less, they less look the Hebrewism is sort of less distinct in some ways these days because it's less accepting of a lot of mainstream Jewish practices. And so I don't think the bifurcation is as difficult, but I think um, that the, the one thing I want to point out, one thing I want to point out here is that I know of more than one Hebrews like who was a second generation who's left and come to Christ. So I'll bring up one specific hmm. Jordan Ortiz, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he grew up in a camp called BOCC body of Christ church, I believe is the name, not GOCC for people listening. That's a more popular camp, but this is a similarly named camp, but it's a different camp BOCC. Jordan was in it, raised up in it. Hmm. Uh, the Lord brought him out. He's saved by grace through faith, and he's not just a Christian. He's a Christian apologist, does a radio show, you know, he live streams and everything, and it goes by Servant of Christ Ministries. He's a great brother. Wrote a book, commentary on the book of Galatians, and, uh, you know, he essentially has no dealings now with his family. Hmm. He, he not, not because he chose that, because they cut him off, and that's that. It's done. And so, you know, people talk about shunning or an excommunication and all that. They don't have as many official ecclesiastical practices in that way, but that's what happens socially. The practical reality is all your friends unfriend you, you're blocked, boom, you're starting over uh, in a lot of cases. Or every time you get together with family, it's friction, friction, friction. I've seen this happen as well. And it just becomes unbearable because it's, it's, uh, it, it's not a live and let live thing. A lot of times, you know, they see it as a dog returning to, you know, the vomit of, hmm. uh, well, the person wasn't a Christian, but you know, going it's in, it's a, it's a step backwards. It's considered inferior to become a Sunday Christian or of course, to deny your heritage is the way they would think of it. If you left. Mm -hmm. Now for people in this system, how would they define the gospel? There are some Hebrew Israelites who get very close to explaining the gospel. Um, I'm going to say from my experiences and reading tons of their literature and having lots of conversations with them and listening to a lot of their content, it is a small minority who get close to properly explaining it. Even the ones who, to an extent, get close to properly explaining it, there's a lot of praxis and then really contradictory statements that they'll make and I understand Christians can do that too, but it's common within Hebrew Islamism because they'll explain the gospel. And then uh, you see this law stuff pop up in a way that is out of, out of focus or out of order, out of balance. But that's really not the majority. Um, most Hebrew Israelites have some form of alchemy going on. The saying, saying uh, works-based salvation is a little too crass or facile for me, but saying alchemy, meaning a mixture of works and grace, kind of like Mormonism. We do what we can. God's grace kind of kicks in at a certain point, right? Describing in a non-technical way, but that's uh, commonly what a Mormon will say, something like that. A lot of Hebrewsites will describe the gospel, they'll describe grace very similarly. The most radical Hebrew Israelites, they actually say the gospel is that they're going to be in the kingdom reigning with other nations as their slaves. Now, hmm. that's a uh, the radical, the one West type, but they think the gospel is we're going to reign and rule over everybody with them as our slaves and servants forever. They think that's the gospel because they say that's the good news, especially if you're have been historically oppressed. Hmm. 
And that's the issue. A lot of Hebrew Israelites uh, don't understand the gospel. You know, you try to find a statement of faith from a Hebrew Israelite group uh, where the gospel is explained clearly. I think I know of one. And uh, it's just uh, not high on the priority list. And then when they do explain it, it doesn't sound right. I even know of one group. Last thing I'll say on this, brother. One group in Toronto led by a guy named Elder Shadrock, I believe is his name. Um, they teach that only Gentiles can be saved by grace. So this is a group that thinks Gentiles can be saved. A lot of groups actually of the one West variety don't think Gentiles can even be saved. They say Gentiles are saved by grace, but Israelites have to keep the law. And so they are saved essentially via obedience or adherence to the law. And uh, I have some books on this written by this group in Toronto. And they go on to say that essentially via Israelites law keeping, it's all, and I'm not, this is not literally what it says, but it's as you read the description, you'll see it's almost as if it creates a treasury of merit similar to Roman Catholicism, where Gentiles are grafted in by the sort of excess grace or merit that is created by the Israelites law keeping. And so if they they're clean, they don't have to keep the law because they're Gentiles, it wasn't meant for them, but they're able to be grafted in via the grace that is created by the Israelites who are keeping the law. Uh, and uh, that's not that, that's a little more sophisticated understanding of justification than most Hebrew Israelites, although it's certainly wrong biblically. But that's the problem. Most Hebrew Israelites do not get the gospel right. They mm -hmm. they just simply don't. So it sounds like in terms of uh, engaging with people outside their group, especially people of other races, there's a variety of perspectives depending on which side of this movement you're a part of. Is that right? Yeah. So um, uh, there's a group out of Chicago called Israel of God, for example. Um, they think that a, a, a Gentile can be brought in and grafted in. And uh, when I was in Chicago, I, I met up with a few of the guys and we talked and then they actually drove me over to their facility, which seats 6,000 people, by the way, hmm. in Riverdale, Chicago. So this is not a small organization. That's only that's their main campus, but it's one of their one of many. <clears throat> and uh, they showed me around. Uh, we ate together. We had a peaceful Bible study, disagreeing Bible study. You can watch it online. It's it's on my channel, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I still talk to some of those guys, you know, uh, it, that's Israel of God. Uh, they're originally from Chicago and that's where their, the, their biggest concentration is, but they're everywhere else too. Um, but then uh, there's a group like say um, the ISUPK. Israelite School of Universal Practical Knowledge. They're the guys who tend to wear black leather or camouflage with spikes. And uh, ISUPK, they actually put out flyers. They do barbecues. They'll do an annual barbecue in each camp, Indianapolis, Chicago, whatever it is. And uh, on the flyers, often they'll put no other nations allowed, blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans only. Hmm. So they're... <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's 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 we cannot eat with you people type of thing right mm. and there's a famous video online where there's a young uh, kid who turns out to be i believe from nigeria and uh he the the guy didn't know it at first and long story short after a conversation the guy says well you can't come in you can't come in because you're african and if someone's stretching their head not understanding that kind of Hebrew Israelite, ISUPK, they believe that Africans are Hamites, whereas they are Semites, and that the Hamites in Africa sold the Semites who were 
transplanted temporarily, originally from Israel, Israel in Africa during the transatlantic slave trade. And so the Hamites are actually a member of another nation. Uh, and they would say their spirit is different. It's obvious that they're not the same people. And so if you're directly from West Africa, the ISUPK would say, you know, you're of another nation. You're going to go into slavery too. Hmm. And so um, that obviously is a very different way. And if that's their stance towards folks who, who are West African, for example, you can imagine their stance to somebody who is Chinese or somebody who is, who is Filipino or somebody who is uh, Arabic or Indian from East, you know, the East, uh, or of course, a, a white person that they would call an Edomite. It's not very friendly. And you can find some of these videos online. They usually get taken down, but one you could watch, I think it's called the most hateful group in America. Uh, it was like a six part series. I think only two videos are left online, but it's the, uh, GMS Bay area camp and they're just brutal to passersby. So it's clearly they're not, not being very cool with people. They actually go out of the way to antagonize uh, pedestrians, but then there's Israel of God and GOCC and groups like that who are a little more kind friendly and say, Hey, you can be our brother. You just got to mind the protocol. This episode is brought to you by the truce podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Hmm. Now, obviously, there, there's there's a lot of hurt that goes along with some of uh, where where people who who are you know being racist to others are coming from. How much of this is a pushback against uh, the idea that that Christianity is a white man's religion or that Jesus was a white person? Um, how much of that have you seen? Well, yes, yeah, certainly a lot. Um, a lot of times when I'm witnessing to a Hebrew Israelite, you'll like say it's a video and I'm, I'm talking to someone and then another Hebrews like gets a hold of the video and does a commentary on YouTube or something like that. They'll say something like, here's vocab trying to get this brother to return back to white Jesus. And uh, so they, they term it as, you know, going back to white Jesus. That's how they frame like coming back. Cause most folks would say they were in the Christian church. And of course that's not true. And uh, then we, we, we get to have discussions in Revelation 1, you know, because they try to use that. But there is definitely a pushback, a kickback, you know. Um, but the thing is, it's not just a reaction because you can do this kind of thing without uh, the same societal situation happening. Here's what I mean by that. Years before the Hebrew Israelites that we're talking about were the Anglo or the British Israelites, about a hundred years, it looks like, as far as when they began. And that was, hey, folks that are, um, you know, in the British Empire, not the subjects, but, uh, you know, the ones at the helm, the Scots and the Irish and the British, and uh, by extension, <coughs> excuse me, the Americans 
they're actually, and perhaps other Europeans as well, uh, they might uh, say, you know, Denmark, and they'll say that the country is named after Dan, who left his mark. I kid you not, Denmark, Denmark, hmm. stuff like that, or British, uh, British. Uh, one means one is close to the term for covenant, and the other is close to the term man in Hebrew, ish, and they'll say, oh, British means covenant man. And so these are arguments that the Anglo and British Israelites use, you know, white folks. And, uh, you know, so sometimes I'm not saying you did this because this is a valid question, but sometimes people will be like, well, you know, hurt. Yes, but you can do this kind of thing without that. I mean, they were at the helm of an empire. And I'll give you uh, something that's interesting about that. Deuteronomy 28. So keep in mind what I just said here. Deuteronomy 28, this relates. Deuteronomy 28 is uh, where it's reiterated what will happen to Israel if they keep the law, don't keep the law. The beginning are a bunch of promises. Good stuff. The latter half, not so fun. Bigger, more goes all the way to verse 68 there in Deuteronomy 28. Hebrew Israelites look at the latter half and they say, we're the people who fulfill these curses, specifically, especially verse 68, which says you, you're going to go into slavery and ships into Egypt, it says. And then the British or English Israelites, they actually looked at the beginning of it and they say, look, who else fulfill these? Who else fulfills these promises? We're the nation that fulfills these promises. Clearly, we're the people of the book. We're the Israelites. And so, you know, one's success was an indicator that they were the real Israelites, and one's oppression is an indicator that they were the Israelites, according to these movements. But there is real hurt, and I do believe in listening to people. But if you're in a street situation, it's a little bit less of counselor with your, and, and, you know, the, the soft side. And I think you've got to be a gentle, humble, happy warrior. I don't mean being crazy or anything like that. I mean, you just got to be ready because if you're on the street, it's a different situation. I do not encourage everyone to go do the street interactions like you might see myself or someone else doing. And unless you know that that's something you've maybe done in some capacity before and can handle it because they're going to test you. And uh, if you're you, if you may not be up for it, <laughs> you may not be up for it, you know, and uh, and all that. So it's really good to talk to these guys one on one. And if you can, it's very difficult, though, sometimes to have that happen. You'd be surprised how many times I offer to buy someone lunch and uh, get turned down. It's it's rare that the guy takes me up on the offer and it's cool when it does. And it's like, hey, tell me your story. I love to hear where you're at, why you're where you are. Help me understand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, and uh, it doesn't answer all the questions. And a lot of Hebrews lights, honestly, are in the mode where they kind of want to talk less about that. And they, they sort of want to preach to you because they, they view themselves as in a state of teaching at this point. So it's even harder for some of these guys to really get into that sort of personal side of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, it's eye-opening when you can get there. Now, for these religions that we go through in our World Religion series, we ask um, a couple questions that I already asked you. What's the attraction for people who are converting? And then two, what keeps the adherents loyal? And the third question is, what are some of the human longings that we see in this movement uh, that's actually addressed by the true gospel? What would you say would be an example of one of those things? Well, I think the fact that God promises justice in the end i think that that mm. is really important to understand and uh people should understand that that is what that's part of what god does hebrews ten thirty. for we know him who said it is mine to avenge i will repay and again the lord will judge his people um 
When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers, Proverbs 21, 15. And uh, justice is something that I believe we long for being made in the image of God. And um, there's a great feeling that people feel great injustices have been done and that uh, when is when are things going to be made right? And so I think the gospel's true message of justice and not one of vengeance of sheer human, you know, vengeance and, and anger. I think it's important and it really needs to be properly understood and God will set all things right. You know, we read the end of the book of Revelation and he takes away pain, no more disease, no more sickness. God himself, the Bible says, will wipe, wipe the eye, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, no more dying. Right. And uh, this is the end picture. Uh, really even better than the Garden of Eden ever was. And uh, that's important, but it's tough. If a person is got to the point where injustice has led them to have a desire more for revenge than justice, even if they might say it's justice, it can be difficult for them sometimes to hear the message of, of the gospel because the gospel also includes great forgiveness. And I mean, someone like John Newton, who was a slave trader, turned to Christ, eventually left slave trading, realized it was wicked, was influential to Wilberforce and the abolitionist, abolitionist movement, wrote Amazing Grace. I mean, someone like uh, John Newton would be forgiven and be our brother in heaven. And that uh, that that to 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 a certain kind of ear that can sound like injustice uh, to if you're not understanding the gospel and its message. And so, you know, I, I constantly uh just hope that people can and can see the beauty of the gospel and it's for forgiveness versus just like a raw vengeance. But the need for justice is legitimate and we should understand that and take that serious. And um, that's one element uh, that I think is important to bring out is that as well as the sense of belonging to a family. Uh, I'm not saying people aren't in families. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not making some kind of social commentary. I'm just saying every person wants to be in a, a place where they belong in community and longing everyone. And uh, there's all kinds of people for who, for all kinds of reasons, don't feel that. And there's all kinds of studies about how the internet was supposed to bring us closer together. And perhaps the internet actually has been a tool to foster more division and more loneliness, perhaps. But within that being said, there is a family, uh, the household of faith, as Paul says, uh, the people of God, the, the new Israel, the congregation, uh, the assembly, um, those who were adopted, those who believed and then therefore he gave them the right to become children of god as john one says you go down the list and you you see of course bride of christ there's all kinds of family language household language all throughout the bible and that's a beautiful thing and that can only be found in the gospel and and uh we can truly say abba father and we can truly understand jesus is our elder brother beautiful beautiful stuff and then we can we can look and say, you know, it's not Scythian, barbarian. We are truly all one in Christ, whatever differences we have. Um, Hebrewism says your family is based upon your lineage, your descent, and now you're in this family. And by the way, it's the family uh, that God chose. And isn't that a great thing? And so it's it's a substitute or kind of a replacement for what the biblical family is because it's, it's based upon essentially uh, ethnic designation. 
that in most cases may not even be accurate, but an ethnic designation. And now because you're this ethnic designation, you're here and everybody else is there. Um, it's essentially like supremacy. And, you know, uh, people like to, to like to like to be over people. Then that's what Jesus says. Don't be like the Gentiles who lord their authority over others, but you be a servant. You be the slave. That's the greatest one of all. Right. And mm-hmm. um, and it, you see a lot of elements of Hebrew Islamism uh, frequently are kind of the opposite of the gospel. I'm not saying every Hebrew is light or anything like that, but a lot of times like the official doctrine of any given group. And so we got to learn the gospel and then preach it in, in love and confidence and boldness. And um, we will see people come out of it. In fact, I'm doing an interview tomorrow in my little old studio with a brother who was in GOCC, Gathering of Christ Church, named Oscar Dunlap. He's been on a radio program called Cultish, and he was in there for a while, I think seven years. And now he's at a wonderful church surrounded by wonderful brothers and regularly goes out actually every Friday or every Saturday and street evangelizes and, and really knows his stuff. And he's just a humble down to earth, solid man with a great family. And so uh, this happens, but maybe I should open with this. Hebrewism is growing and there's data that indicates it's over a million and a half in the United States that identify as a Hebrew Israelite mm-hmm. that comes from Lifeway mm-hmm. because they had Lifeway researched the research arm with something called the Philos project did uh, some research on black Americans attitudes towards Israel and someone had the wherewithal. And I know a little bit about the background to include an element, a question in there. That's about, do you know the teachings of the black Hebrews lights? What do you think of them kind of thing? Right. And uh, it says like, you know, agree, uh, strongly disagree, never heard of them. Don't agree with a lot, you know? And one of them says, uh, I, fu- I, fu- I think they're fully right. I, you know, basically identify as one. And it was 4% of those surveyed sample size was around 1100. If you extrapolate the 4% out to black America as a whole, it's 1.8 million or so uh, mm-hmm. that, that you would end up with a number who identified. That doesn't mean they're out there in a corner every Saturday. It doesn't mean they even go online, but it means at least the ideological element kind of step one, a lot of time leads to denial of the Trinity, denial of the New Testament, denial of Jesus as God is in place. And uh, that's a problem. So it's growing, not shrinking. Hmm. Wow. You know, just with uh, the little bit of research that I've done into this, just to prepare for our interview, I got the sense that dignity and being included in the people of God was a value that actually the true gospel really gives us that without having to resort to revisionist history, um, I can be Filipino, I can be, you know, whatever Gentile um, and be in the people of God because of Jesus. And so that's really the beauty of, of the gospel is it's it's everyone, right? Um, everyone's welcome. And uh, because of Jesus now, you don't have to be ethnically Jewish or, or make up this uh, kind of revisionist history. Um, Jesus is calling every single one of us. So I think that's something that we can certainly see as, as, a, as a need that the, the true gospel um, gives us. Amen. What, Amen. What advice would you give to a Christian who is being approached um, about joining this group? I mentioned to you, you know, some of my black friends who they say they can't even hardly go to the barbershop without someone trying to hit them up to join this group. Well, if you're strong in your faith, study up, learn your stuff, go in there and do First Peter 3.15. If you know you're weak in your faith, you should find a new barbershop. Because if you're just someone who listens without looking into things, you could be easily swayed. 
I mean, I'm just saying straight up. So uh, I think the person needs to do an honest self-assessment of where they're at uh, because a lot of people will just fall down so easily. Uh, and so I would encourage people to really become familiar with relevant. I'm not just going to say verses. I'm going to say passages. I'm going to say chapters and really even books, starting with Galatians. If you want a chapter to start in, if you don't, you know, I, you're not, it'd be best to start in the beginning and go all the way through. But Galatians 3, especially Galatians 3. And then the best thing to learn how to do in regards to Bible study, in regards to Hebrew Israelism, is this. Learn the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Find out when it happens. Find out how it happens. Find out what it means. Get some basic understanding of how the passages that are used, what their original context was. When you start putting that together, first of all, you'll be blessed. The Holy Spirit uh, is is it's just an it's just amazing the pages of Scripture, the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's just amazing to see God's wisdom and beauty and power all throughout the pages. You'll be blessed as a Christian. You'll grow in your faith, but you'll become equipped. That person who really starts to put those things together is it just becomes an unstoppable force because they understand the gospel and the continuity between the message that was there, albeit the Bible does say uh, there's a, it's hidden or a mystery, not it was, it was there, but now it's been f- more fully revealed. Paul speaks about this, for example. Uh, even Jesus talks about things hidden. He talks about those who have ears to hear. When you start to see that, and put those things together, it's a beautiful thing. I just did a study yesterday. This is like what took up the bulk of my day on Romans 15. It's amazing. Just let me read just a tad of this to show you. So you're saying, what should you do? You should be you should be dead set serious about studying the Bible in a deep, serious way. Uh, and if you're not going to do it, you just need to <laughs> uh, stay away from it until you're ready to take it serious because you're just going to fall straight up. Romans 15. Listen to this. This is this is amazing. Check this out. I'm going to start in uh, verse 9. Uh, verse, verse 9. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Now, Paul's going to list four Old Testament passages here right in a row and say they all apply to what's going on now. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's the first one. That's David from Psalm 18. Paul's quoting that there. Interestingly enough, in that original context, it was David conquering his enemies and uh, now singing praises to God. And now you see the nations included because Paul's going to put these together. Watch what happens. There's a progression here. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So the people of Israel, Gentiles together. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. There it's Gentiles independent in the sense of Israel. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Ultimately, that's the Messiah. Even he who arises, and a lot of people think that's a kind of implied um, implied hint towards the resurrection, to rule the Gentiles. Remember, we're servants of Christ. In him will the Gentiles hope. Gentile, 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 Gentile. And what Paul does there is he shows you this is a consistent theme in the Old Testament and just brings it together. And that's just one place. And so if someone has this idea that Gentiles are excluded or something like that, they're very wrong biblically. And I think understanding this lessens your need to think you need to be Israel to be in because you realize, hey, 
God was trying to do this and I'm a benefit of that grace. I can still be Filipino. I can still be a Sicilian. I can still be who I am and be in Christ. And that's okay. And, and, the, and if someone's a Jew, you know, God bless them too. It's all good. But check this out. Last one I'll share. It's Galatians 3, 7. And, and both of these are New Testament passages that rely heavily on the Old Testament. So I'm not just going New Testament. I'm going New Testament, but the Old Testament is ready right there. Watch this, Galatians 3, 7. Uh, this is beautiful. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So mm. if you trust in Christ, you are now considered son of Abraham. People don't, they, sometimes people are like, oh, spiritual sonship. I don't, well, th this is spiritual sonship. It's saying by faith, that's how you're a child of Abraham. So the old song, Father Abraham had many sons. That's mm. a biblical song. And the scripture, verse eight of Galatians 3 says, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So again, this is already in the Old Testament is what that's saying. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abram. Now, what preach the gospel beforehand? What, what did you hear about Jesus? Well, we do know one thing he heard, which is the very next line, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Mm -hmm. So this is the original intention just being played out over time. Verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And watch how the chapter ends. A lot of people know Galatians 3.28, but Galatians 3.29 wraps up the chapter, the section, of course. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, mm -hmm. heirs according to the promise. So who really, biblically speaking, are Abraham's offspring? It's those who have the faith of Abraham, where he trusts God to keep his promises. And that means that we trust in the ultimate fulfillment of Yahweh's promise, who is the Messiah. And so that's important. So Galatians 3 is a great place to start. The whole book, I just brought up Romans 15. And once you have that, you, you start to get a robust biblical theology. And you don't want to turn away. You don't want to start doing revisionist history. You don't want to start telling people some of the things that some of these guys believe, you know, that like, for example, King James was actually black. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a common that's a common myth among the one westers you don't have to go there you know what i'm saying and uh and i pray that that it, this challenge that has arisen in our lifetime will result in people understanding how the gospel is in the old testament yeah wow well those are some good texts that you brought up that will help uh, people begin to engage um our time is gone but thank you so much for joining us here on the table um vocab how can people contact you and and uh follow you online um all across social media that i have you know from instagram and twitter and facebook just vocab alone and also the name of my uh my live show that i call street apologists so just look for those one word together just lowercase and then um also i'm live pretty regularly on youtube as of now uh youtube.com slash vocab malone and actually today i just finally hit thirty thousand subs so we'll see what that what that does or doesn't do but i'm on youtube pretty regularly and um catch me there i hope to see you guys in the live chat thanks so much if you're watching this on youtube please do um, check that out you can also subscribe to the youtube channel here at dts um, so you can get the table every time it comes out 
And uh, you can also subscribe on your audio um, app if you're listening to this, just the audio version. Um, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. You can hit up Vocab. You can talk to me as well, at me on Twitter, at ApologeticsGuy, or on YouTube, at ApologeticsGuy as well. Once again, we thank you so much for joining us here on The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture, and we hope to see you again next time. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.